You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Hi, everyone. So in our first episode, we talked a little about what allergies are. And today we're going to go into different allergic conditions and how they're all linked. And we're definitely taking a deeper dive into terms like IgE antibodies, mast cells, histamine. So I hope you're ready, Courtney. I am. This is the exciting stuff. So let's just get into allergies. Yeah, because... I know that you and your mom had allergies and eczema. Uh, sorry, and I, I don't know about your mom, but you have asthma and she had asthma. And um, allergies and asthma actually run through my family. So we have lots of people in my family with m- multiple conditions. And it gets me wondering, are allergies genetic? Yeah, actually, asthma and allergies do have a genetic component. So if you have an allergic parent, you're definitely more likely to be allergic. However, it doesn't mean that you'll inherit your parents' exact allergies, just the likelihood of having allergies. So if you're allergic to dogs, it doesn't mean that your child is definitely going to develop an allergy to dogs. And I think that's just something important that I hear a lot of parents worry about. So I just wanted to make that point clear. And then in addition, because the genetic and environmental factors are so difficult to separate, we don't know how your genetic predisposition and then your environment can alter all of this. And that's what many researchers are really trying to figure out. Um, so why does it seem that more and more people are becoming allergic? And that's really the billion-dollar question right now. And we don't really have a clear answer, but there's many hypotheses, and we'll discuss some of them today. Yeah, that that's like what everyone asks me. is like, do you know why so many people are developing allergies? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, well, it depends. Yeah. But one of them, one one term I have heard a lot of, and I'd like to know if it's one of these theories, is the atopic march. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is related. Um, And it's basically, I think we need to talk about a couple things first before we get to the atopic march. Um, First, let me define the term atopic. So atopic basically refers to the genetic tendency to develop allergic diseases like food allergies, allergic rhinitis, asthma and atopic dermatitis or eczema. So people who are atopic, their immune system reacts more in what we call a Th2 type reaction versus a Th1 type reaction. And that leads to the production of many things, including IgE antibodies. And that in in turn leads to a sensitization in response to different environmental and food triggers. So a lot. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, you introduced some terms there. Um, we are taking a deep dive today. Yeah. Uh, can we break some of those down? So let's start with Th1 and Th2 types of reactions because I've definitely seen those and I've like seen them in lectures and I still cannot fully grasp what that means. Yeah, and I think we just need to understand it in a very basic way. Um, and so Th1 selves, the main thing to remember is that they help fight against pathogens like viruses and bacteria. And Th2 cells are really supposed to help us fight against infections like worms that are found in certain countries, but they can also produce allergic reactions. So essentially what you need to know is that when the body's immune system triggers these cells, they direct the immune system to make certain other cells. So for like the Th2 type response, which is the one that we are interested in for allergies, it will lead to more production of something called an IgE antibody. It'll lead to more eosinophil production and a whole host of other things that can cause allergic reactions. So it's a very complicated system, but that's most of what you need to understand is that there's Th1 type response and there's a Th2 type response. And for allergic people, we're geared more towards that Th2 type response in certain conditions. Okay, and the Th2 response is where the IgE falls into, mm-hmm. which is the second term I wanted to ask you about because I see the term IgE thrown about everywhere. Like I see it in Facebook groups all the time. I've seen it in my blood tests that I get from the allergists. So can you explain what an IgE antibody is and how that relates to f- environmental and food triggers? Yeah, so it is a lot to understand, but basically antibodies which are also called immunoglobulins, are a key part of our immune system. So we have a lot of different types of antibodies in our body that help to try to keep our body safe. So essentially, there there are IgG antibodies, IgA antibodies, IgM antibodies, and IgE antibodies. And those IgE antibodies um, are the ones that are particular to allergies. So the antibodies are essentially proteins that circulate through our body and are looking for things called antigens. So um, for allergic people, antigens can be food proteins or environmental allergenic proteins like dust mite proteins that enter the body. So when you're allergic or atopic, you have more IgE antibodies in particular than those people who aren't allergic. And essentially there's an overproduction of IgE antibodies. So does that make sense? Uh, let me recap this to see if I get it and see if um, I have any questions afterwards. So what I'm understanding is that antibodies are also called immuno- immunoglobins and they are a protein. And we have different types of antibodies or immunoglobins that are produced by our immune system to keep us healthy against antigens. And for an allergic person like me, an antigen could be a peanut. Um, And allergic people have more or make more IgE antibodies, which respond to the triggers or antigens. Is that right? Yes, you got it. So the the important thing to remember is that, you know, our body is getting inundated with lots of things, right? Our body is getting inundated with viruses, bacteria, um, and then these 
food proteins and, um, you know, environmental proteins like dust mite proteins. And our body's job is to figure out what is not good for the body and what is good for the body. And in response, and basically what ends up happening is that for allergic people, we tend to produce more of these IgE antibodies. And those IgE antibodies in particular are reacting to things that they shouldn't be, like food proteins and environmental proteins. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so the next part of the reaction is that these IgE antibodies are actually specific to certain antigens. So, and which are basically your allergens. And so once the IgE antibody is basically circulating around and it meets up with that allergen or with that allergen antigen, then that causes the antigen and the antibody to form a complex, which then causes mast cells to release histamine. So what are mast cells? Mast cells are found in most tissues of the body and they're particularly in locations that are in close contact with the external environment, like in the skin, the airways, intestines. And they're basically cells that are waiting to get triggered. And once they're triggered by that antigen antibody complex, then they release a bunch of different chemicals, essentially, that that are supposed to help fight against the thing that the body thinks it's supposed to fight against. And so one of the chemicals that it's releasing is histamine. Mm -hmm. And histamine is that main chemical that causes all of that itching and inflammation and irritation. It's the body's thinking that it's releasing those chemicals to help fight against a particular pathogen or infectious thing, but it's really just reacting against something that we normally are exposed to. Can I recap that again? I think that makes a lot of sense. So an allergic reaction is the IgEs meeting an antigen or our allergen, and that creates a complex, which then sets off the mast cells who are found in areas like our skin and our intestines, I think you said, which is kind of like the spaces where we see an allergic reaction happen. Exactly. And that can, in the skin, it can produce the hives and the eczema and in the airways, it can produce inflammation and cause us to not breathe as well, like an asthma. So, and then getting back to your question about the atopic march, this just refers to the general timeline that we see with allergic conditions. So what we've noticed is that early on, the first sign of atopy or allergy is eczema in infants. And usually this is caused by IgE-mediated food allergies. And then later in childhood, these same children who had eczema as babies are more likely to develop other signs of allergies, like allergic rhinitis, which is allergies of the nose, and allergic asthma or allergies of the airways and lungs. So essentially, you are on your way or you're marching towards becoming an allergic person if you have eczema as an infant. And again, that will be more likely if you have an allergic parent. Okay, so I'm a classic example of this because my dad has food allergies and asthma. And I had eczema very early on. I had my first reaction at two months old. So I understand the genetic component, but why do people get the atopic march is the question that everyone wants to know. Why? 
Well, and that's another basically a million dollar question. Um, We know that eczema is the first to develop. And then after that, asthma and allergic rhinitis will present. But recent studies are basically supporting the idea of maybe there being a causal link between eczema and other diseases that start later. But we also know that some people don't follow this and that you can have allergic people that have never had eczema as a child. And so they only have, for example, allergic asthma or allergies of their nose, but they didn't have that food-induced eczema as a child. So that's where everything gets confusing. And that's why we don't have clear answers to everything because there isn't really a clear recipe to create an allergic person. But we do know that those infants with eczema early on are at higher risk for other allergies and have already shown themselves as that atopic person early on in their lives. For those infants, essentially eczema, which is also called atopic dermatitis, is called the itch that rashes. And so that particular um, area is really being studied heavily because we know that it predisposes these kids to develop other allergies later on in life. And so a lot of researchers are looking at eczema very closely. And what we know about it is that eczema is essentially the itch that rashes. When the mast cells in the skin release histamine that causes the itching, and once the baby starts scratching in response to that itch, then that leads to damage to the skin barrier. And the skin barrier is the most important barrier that we have. And once that barrier is kind of compromised with the irritation and inflammation from the itching, we essentially are breaking that down and we're leaving small openings um, in the skin that are, like I said, really important. And that barrier kind of opens up the internal system to get compromised. So essentially your skin um, is helping you protect, is helping protect you against the outside world. And once this is opened, it might help increase the sensitization of that baby to allergens. So basically an important statistic that I find interesting is that at five years of age, 50% of children with early atopic eczema or atopic dermatitis had a positive family history of allergy and developed asthma or rhinitis compared with only 12% of children without eczema or a positive family history of allergy. Hmm, That's really interesting. Is that, is that the skin barrier theory? Is that what it's called? I don't know if it's got a name. I've just heard, I've just read about people talking about skin barrier. Yeah. 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 Basically it, yeah. I think some people do call it the skin barrier theory. Okay. Um, there's a term that you've used a couple of times and I just want to know a little bit more about it. it. I feel like it's a term that makes a lot of sense when you hear it, but I feel like there's more to it and it's sensitization. Yeah. So sensitization. Um, so basically when a baby is born, it hasn't really been exposed to anything yet. And as it gets exposed, that baby's body is deciding on what it likes and what it doesn't. And so sensitization means that if a baby's body is atopic and that baby produces more IgE antibodies to things like dust mite proteins, that over time, every time that baby is exposed to those dust mite, it produces even more of those antibodies to that trigger. So it's getting sensitized. So it's more... it's even more ready to fight against it because it considers that dust mite protein as something it doesn't like. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So you're saying that like at an early age, your body is taking in things and deciding whether it likes it or not. And if it doesn't, it'll produce an antibody, the IgE, to that decimate protein, for instance, or a food protein, which we then call an antigen. And does that mean if we keep everything clean, would this help us from preventing it? But then at the same time, I've heard about the hygiene theory, which is thrown out there as a cause of allergies, which would contradict this idea of like, if we keep the skin barrier really clean, we wouldn't get allergies. Can you talk about the hygiene hypothesis a bit? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think you're basically talking about the same thing. So keeping things clean is essentially what the hygiene hypothesis is. So it, it, the hygiene basically is, um, looking at, we looked at, um, children that are in what we call, you know, undeveloped settings. And then we looked at, you know, people that are in developed settings. Um, and what that means is that, you know, technically a dirtier environment to a cleaner environment. So, and, what we're seeing is that um, the lack of early childhood exposure to infectious agents or even symbiotic organisms like the gut flora or probiotics and parasites increases the susceptibility to allergic diseases by suppressing the natural development of the immune system. So again, the immune system in a baby develops by looking at it at what it's exposed to and saying, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. But in particular, what we think is happening is that the lack of exposure to the right kind of infectious pathogens leads the immune system to start kind of not liking things that it should like. (laughs) So essentially, if the body doesn't see the bacteria and viruses as frequently in a developed country, then the theory is that it starts producing antibodies to things that it shouldn't. Okay. So that's kind of why people are like, let your kids play in the sandbox and roll in dirt and eat the dirt. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, and that's probably, and this is the theory of behind why we see more allergic cases in westernized countries, right? Yes, exactly. The studies basically looked at places, like I said, where, you know, there were, there were, weren't as many allergies and then tried to look for the differences. And this is one of the ideas that came from those studies. And now a question that might be more (laughs) tricky would be, is there a way to prevent this from happening, to prevent the atopic march, to just stop it? Wow. Yep. Another like super million dollar question, Courtney. Um, We are all really, I mean, there's a lot of super smart researchers that are trying to figure that out. And, you know, there's certain theories that are coming out of all the research. And one theory that I particularly kind of like and feel like it makes sense is the theory that that dysfunctional barrier that we create from eczema might lead to more sensitization. So what I recommend is that patients really try to make sure that any eczema is treated aggressively in their infants. So making sure that we use those steroid creams or sometimes even oral steroids um, and always keep the skin hydrated and protected and find ways to minimize that itching that causes the damage to that barrier. Um, And so, you know, essentially um, researchers feel that if the skin barrier isn't protected, 
that that leads to that sensitization and that leads to further allergies. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's going back to what you originally said about like the scratching and opening the skin up. The one thing that I do hear, and I know personally, I felt very strange and resistant about steroids and steroid creams and oral steroids. But can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I know that it freaks people out thinking about steroids and especially when you bring it up for like a baby. Yeah, I mean, so steroids definitely need to be used sparingly, obviously, and with the guidance of a doctor. Um, And, you know, to go back towards history, when we first discovered steroids, we thought that they were this magical treatment. And um, there are stories of people taking oral steroids every day to just feel better and look better because they would reduce the inflammation. But then we slowly realized that they can cause a lot of damage to our bodies, specifically leading to things like thinning of the skin, increasing the appetite, which leads to weight gain. Um, It can cause sudden mood swings, uh, which can lead to depressive symptoms, muscle weakness, blurred vision, increased growth of body hair, um, easy bruising, lower resistance to infection. And then also that like it can lead to a swollen, puffy face. So there's so many negative consequences to steroids. So we obviously need to be super cautious about their use, but we do know that they serve a purpose and especially in the treatment, unfortunately, of eczema in children and in infants. And so again, we need to use them with the guidance of a doctor and also make sure that once the skin looks good, we can't neglect it. That's another important component. We have to make sure that we're keeping it hydrated with moisturizers and make sure that as soon as there's a small area of irritation, that's when it's really important to use the the topical steroids on that particular area so that we can prevent the reaction from getting out of hand. And because once that itch kind of process cycle starts, then, you know, the baby just digs at their skin and they they create larger and larger areas that are affected. And so, and now with advances in, in treatment, we do have some non-steroidal options too. And, you know, some of them can be used on infants and some can't, but, um, you know, this is really where a specialist can help you figure out what would work and at what age. Yeah, I mean, I think that that goes for an adult too. I I know that initially I was really hesitant on using steroids because of all of those hideous side effects. But um, I started a course of steroid creams for my hands uh, in the fall. And yeah, the thing is, is that it cleared up quite quickly. But when I see, when I get that, that itch that will eventually rash, yeah. when I start feeling that, I know that I need to keep my hands more m- moisturized or I can start using um, the creams that I got. So I have creams that I use when my eczema is bad and you can see it visibly. And then I have creams that help me maintain my skin. I have a slew of different types of moisturizers I use. And I know that it's true for adults too, I would say that you do need to manage your eczema and that you do need to keep it moisturized at all times. Yeah. Unfortunately, eczema doesn't disappear altogether. There's no cure for it. You know, there's really, um, it's going to be a waxing and waning kind of situation for all allergies, really. You know, they come and go and they're more severe at certain times, depending on um, lots of different factors. Um, and so it, it's super important just to know, make a plan with your doctor. Like you said, 
these are the creams that I use when my skin is really bad. This is what I use when I'm doing really good. And, you know, what do you add in? What do you subtract when things are going good and bad? So yeah, exactly. I think just working together with your doctor is super important. And what about foods? I mean, I know that foods can also trigger eczema. And is that also a case for like infancy? Is that even true? (laughs) Yeah. So actually foods are definitely a big trigger for infant eczema and every infant with eczema, in my opinion, really needs to be tested for food allergies. It can, um, actually help prevent the need for oral and topical steroids once we know what foods need to be avoided. Um, And so, you know, we will definitely go into all of this in more detail in future episodes. But yeah, food definitely be a trigger for infant eczema. Okay. I think that was a lot to digest today. (laughs) And that I would like to just kind of summarize what we've talked about, especially like using these terms that we've just thrown out there. So I can say, for instance, that I'm an atopic person because I have environmental and food allergies, asthma and allergic eczema. And I could have one of these or all of them to still be considered atopic. So it's like one or all of them, you're atopic no matter what. Yep. And then the whole reaction is coordinated by the TH2 type response and IgE antibodies play an important role in a lot of allergic reactions because they are what gets the ball rolling, right? Exactly. And so, you know, the TH2 type response has a lot of different mediators and IgE antibodies are definitely one an important role. Exactly. Like you said, I think you got all of it. And I'm pretty impressed by that. So, um, and you know, we do have a couple videos and articles that kind of, um, show all of this in a different way. So if you're more of a visual learner, you might, um, you know, you might want to take a look at those. You can go on our website and we'll also post, we also have them on on Instagram. And, um, and I know that on our Instagram, we actually did have some questions about the relationship between asthma and allergies. And I hope that we've shed some light on it. And again, you know, every episode, we're going to be going more and more in depth on all of this stuff. Yeah, this was exciting to be our first real big deep dive into a topic of allergies, asthma, immunology. So I think we're going to end there, folks, because you've got a lot to think about and now you've got some videos to go watch. We want to thank you for listening and we hope that you do feel more confident in understanding the atopic march, some theories on why people develop allergies and the science behind an allergic reaction. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know or check out our website, which is www itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.